Today's scripture is from Mark, chapter 10, verses 35 to 45. James and John, Zebedee's sons, came to him. Teacher, we have something we want you to do for us. What is it? I'll see if I can do it. Arrange it, they said, that we will be awarded the highest places of honor in your glory, one of us at your right and the other at your left. Jesus said, You have no idea what you are asking. Are you capable of drinking the cup of tr- cup I drink, of being baptized in the baptism I'm about to be plunged into? Sure, they said, why not? Jesus said, Come to think of it, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized in my baptism. But as to awarding places of honor, that's not my business. There are other arrangements for that. When the other ten heard of this conversation, they lost their tempers with James and John. Jesus got them together and settled things down. You've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around, he said. And when people get a little power, how quickly it goes into their heads. That's not going to be that way with you. Whoever wants to be the great must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. That is what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve, not to be served, and then to give away his life in exchange for many who are held hostage. The word of the Lord. baptismal font is here for the 11 o'clock service. Some of you may be wondering, did we just miss a baptism? <laughs> this is going to be for uh, Donovan Zalas, who's a child of God, and a child of Jeff and Amanda Zalas, grandchild of Debbie and Jeff Davis. Some of you know. Great-grandchild of Pat and Doug Davis, who are very faithful members of our church. It's at 11 I want to begin with some wisdom from the 11th and 12th century. There was a man named Maimonides who was uh, a philosopher, a rabbi, astronomer, teacher, physician, and he reflected on the ladder of generosity that there are different levels of charity, of compassion, of generosity. And the hope is that wherever we are on the ladder, we might take the next step, so that we might be even more in the flow of God, who is a generous God. He starts at the base rung of the ladder, which is giving in sadness, giving out of pity, giving unwillingly. Have you ever been in that boat? You're walking the streets of New York, you got some place to go, and somebody says, hey, you got any money? 
I, I fit in this category often when I'm locked onto something and I realize, yeah, this person who's asking me for a dollar is also a child of God. Uh, and sometimes I give, sometimes I don't, but sometimes it's unwillingly and ungraciously. The next level, giving willingly but inadequately. Huh? Giving something, but it's not really very generous. The next rung of the ladder, giving adequately after being asked. Someone asks us to give, and we give. The next rung is giving before being asked. So we see the need, we give before anyone asks of us. The next one, giving publicly to an unknown recipient. Giving to a person or an agency or a church or a group that we know is going to help someone else. The next one, giving anonymously to a known recipient. I know who this is going for. And I'm going to give it anonymously so that they can receive help. The second highest rung, giving anonymously to an unknown recipient via a person or public fund or public agency or congregation, which is trustworthy, wise, and can perform acts of generosity with your money in a most impeccable fashion. The highest level for Maimonides of living a generative life is this. Giving an interest-free loan to a person in need, forming a partnership with a person in need, giving a grant to a person in need, finding a job for a person in need, so long as that loan, grant, partnership, or job results in the person no longer living by relying upon others. So this is about giving so that someone's life is empowered, changed. They are given a platform on which to stand so that they are not in need anymore. You see the layers of motivation that we are all uh, a part of at various seasons of our lives and even from day to day. Sometimes we're giving at a run one level, sometimes we're giving at a run eight level. There's always more to give in a way that is selfless, in a way that does not expect anything in return. In some ways, service is like that. There are different layers and levels of serving someone. Sometimes we serve someone out of a sense of guilt that probably be pretty low on the ladder. Or sometimes we give and serve someone out of a sense of duty. I should be doing this. There are some, if you've studied the Enneagram, number twos on the Enneagram, they are in the mode of giving all the time. But when they're not in a good place, they expect something in return. And they kind of have this mindset of, hey, I've given all this. What's in it for me? How come they're not giving back? 
Some get to a place of giving where it's giving and serving and showing love for the sake of love, for the sake of someone else that has nothing to do with us. That's a pretty high level of service. One of my mentors in ministry said, you know, when someone is grieving or going through a loss, invite them to serve someone. Because what happens when we serve someone, we get out of ourselves and we realize our true purpose is to bring joy to someone else, to bring purpose to someone else, to bring meaning to someone else. And in so doing, we experience joy, even in the midst of the grief, even in the midst of the struggle, even in the midst of the darkness that we're going through. When we serve someone, God does something in our spirit that lifts us up. And that may be what is behind this conversation with Jesus and his disciples. When Grace read that passage from the Gospel of Mark, it's really, it's almost humorous. And we're so used to it that we don't laugh at it anymore. I have a sense that in the first century, people heard this read or this story told, and they all cracked up because, oh my gosh, can you imagine James and John saying to Jesus, uh, Jesus, can you do us a solid? Can you, can you give us a little bit of uh, status? That's what they're asking. And you can see the early church just like, uh, this, by the way, is right after Jesus says, the Son of Man is going to suffer, be betrayed, and die. And on the third day, he's going to rise again. So Jesus has dropped this bomb on them, and they respond with, um, Jesus, can you, can you hook us up with a seat next to you in heaven, one at your left and one at your right? It's as if they're not listening to him at all. An interesting note, in the Gospel of Matthew, which was written a few decades after Mark, they're not listed as the sons of Zebedee asking the question. They get their mother to ask the question. The mother of James and John say, uh, Jesus, could you have my son sit one at your left hand and one at your right? Mother gets thrown under the bus in the Gospel of Matthew. And so Jesus says, well, let me hear. What do you, what do you, what's your request? They say, we would really like to be in a seat of status. One next to you on your left, one next to you on your right. And Jesus says, well, that's really not mine to give. But after the disciples, the other ten, hear about this conversation, what do you think their reaction to this was? How dare these two ask Jesus for the seats of honor what they're basically saying is, what about us? It just gets more and more ridiculous. And then Jesus says, oh, I see you're all not getting it. If you want to be great, you've got to serve. If you want to be the greatest of all, you have to be slave of all, servant of all. I've asked a few friends of mine who are 
solid feminists. How do you read this passage? Because for those who are fighting for equality at every level, to hear Jesus say, if you really want to be great, you've got to serve. I also wonder, how would this passage go over? How would it be heard by African-American friends of mine, immigrant friends of mine who are doing the jobs that nobody wants to do, and they hear Jesus say, you've got to be a servant. See, we, we all hear scripture from our own vantage point. I hear this scripture as a white, straight male. And so I have blinders to how this is perceived by others. I wonder if folks who are still fighting for equality at every level would hear Jesus say, you've got to be a servant. I wonder if they would hear that as oppressive, as unfair, because they have never attained equality, and here's Jesus asking them to be servant or slave of all. Or might they hear that by saying, ah, Jesus gets it. He knows about what Walter Wink refers to as the domination system, the system that oppresses. I wonder if folks would hear that and say, ah, Jesus is saying the domination system has no place in the kingdom of God. And actually, all those who are at the top of the pyramid in the domination system, they're far from being in the flow of God's love. It's actually those who are on the bottom tier of that pyramid that Jesus is lifting up and saying, they get it. They're in the flow of what God is doing. I don't know if it would seem as liberation or oppression, depending on how we hear this. But what we're left with is, what do we do with this call of Jesus to serve? Friends, we were baptized into different values than the world. The waters of baptism that have been on us and who still have their mark on us. Have put in our our Zebedee genes that are looking for power. Have put in us a different DNA that says what's really valuable, what's really going to show you the way to joy is choosing, choosing to serve someone. The choosing is about our agency, our ability to choose, our ability to rise above what the world says is important and say, as a follower of Jesus, I'm going to choose to serve someone. Intention. I don't know what that will look like for each of us. It will be different because we may be choosing to serve someone in our household. 
and choosing to not be resentful of that service. We may be choosing to serve someone in our workplace who is not at the same pay level, not in the corner office, maybe someone who collects the garbage in our cubicle or in our office or on our street corner, maybe we are called to discover some way to serve them, to bring them a bottle of water or a cup of coffee or even seeing them and greeting them by name, holding a door for them, somehow showing dignity to them and turning the world's ways upside down in the name of Christ. I close with this illustration. A few years ago, I was at Tizé, a community in France where 5,000 young people show up to worship, to pray, to enjoy each other's company. Part of what makes that work is that the brothers, there's only 100 brothers, empower young people to be in ministry, empower them to take responsibility. In fact, there's a PhD in youth ministry who graduated from Princeton in the last few years, he did his whole thesis on Tizé and on how what makes Tizé work is that they've empowered young people with responsibilities while they're on the hill, while they're there, Tizé. There's so much work to be done. Can you imagine what it takes to feed 5,000 people three meals a day? Can you imagine what it's like to clean up the garbage of 5,000 people every few hours? Can you imagine what it's like to clean the shower stalls of those 5,000 people? They don't all have their individual bathrooms, I can assure you. Now let's get a little bit even more graphic. Can you imagine cleaning the toilets at Taze when 5,000 people are there using those toilets throughout the day? They get to be a little bit dirty. The first day we're at Taze, everybody gets a job. They're appointed different uh, small groups so that everybody's language can be understood. We're in small groups of people from all over the world, and that small group gets a job. Some making food, some cleaning dishes, some collecting garbage, some uh, cleaning showers, some cleaning toilets. And you can imagine that most of the youth, the last job they want to do, cleaning the toilets. A bishop that I know quietly asked one of the brothers, I'm not really in any small group, but can you assign me a small group that's cleaning the toilets? I really want to do that, and I don't want many people to know about it. I just... And the brother of Tizé asked the bishop, why do you want to clean the toilets? We've never had a request from any bishop all over the world who has asked us, to clean the toilets. He said, you know, I, I want to understand Gandhi, and I want to understand people in India who are deemed untouchable, 
whose job it is to clean latrines and clean toilets. I want to understand that. And so the bishop that we cleaned toilets. And I have never forgotten Because that is, to me, what Christ would do. That kind of humble service. I'm going to ask Peter if he would play the song from the faith we sing. This is not in the projection, but if you pick up the faith we sing, that small black hymnal in front of you, number 2176, I believe it is, Make Me a Servant. Number 2176. And let's sing this through Would you play it once, the melody, and then let's sing it through twice. The first time to get familiar with it, the second time to let it be our prayer. people of God's sake.